My name is Dan Costantino, uh, for those of you who don't know me, and I have the privilege of serving as youth pastor uh, here at Grace. Pastor Jim is uh, coming back from spring break, and uh, so I got the call from the minor leagues uh, to pitch in the major today and to preach, and so excited, uh, so excited to open up God's Word with you. I thought, I thought before we kind of opened up God's Word and, and, and went that direction, I'd share a little bit about myself. I've been uh, youth pastoring here uh, for the past six months. And I uh, just want to share a little bit about who I am. That way you can kind of know a little bit more about me and a little bit more about my story. Um, my name is Dan Costantino. Costantino is Italian. And um, Tino literally means little one. And so I am the little one from Cosenza, which is a small town in Italy. And uh, if the wind's blowing just right, uh, I stand at five foot seven. And that's only if the wind's blowing the right way. You know, it's got to be blowing down to up. Um, but the reason why I say that is, is I'm proud of my last name for a number of different reasons. Uh, I'm proud because of the ethnic heritage that's been passed down. But I'm also proud because of the spiritual legacy that's been passed down. My father was the first one in his entire family and extended family to come to know Jesus. And so uh, he's passed on a, le- a spiritual legacy to me. And Lord willing, I'll be passing on a spiritual legacy uh, of Christ to other people. And so I'm proud of my name for that reason. I grew up in South Central Pennsylvania near Hershey, PA. It's known as the sweetest place on earth. Uh, and it actually does smell like chocolate if you're around the town. If you, it's got uh, their lamps actually have Hershey kisses on them and all that type of stuff. Um, the problem is, is that it smells like chocolate when you're in town. Uh, when you live 15 minutes outside of town, you know, 5% of the time it smelled like chocolate. The other 95% of the time it smelled like a different form of chocolate, cow manure, okay? And so I was, I was really able to acclimate really well to Goshen in the area, you know, not, much, not, not a whole lot of difference there. I uh, grew up in Hershey, and um, my dad was a pastor in the Hershey area. And uh, growing up, uh, going through high school, uh, went through a difficult time where God stripped some things away from me. I uh, stripped football, girls, and some relationships in the youth group. And if it wasn't for a godly youth intern who invested and poured his life into me, I would not be standing where I am today. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about youth ministry, because I've experienced it firsthand, and I'm passionate about having godly adults pair up with teenagers and pushing them to Jesus. Uh, From there, I went to Lancashire Bible College in South Central Pennsylvania, and God shot me out like a cannon to Kendallville, Indiana. Uh, Kendallville is approximately an hour east of Goshen. And uh, part of the reason why I moved out uh, to Kendallville uh, was I was engaged at the time. And that's kind of what you do. You, you, after college, you get a job, you get engaged, and you're going to start kind of moving in that direction. Well, a month and a half before um, our wedding, she pulled the carpet out from under me. And so I was left in Kendallville, Indiana, uh, four hours away from my closest family members. And I can remember uh, going through a time of questioning God, why would you do this to me? And I learned some things in that, in that time. Number one, I learned that when you're lonely, focus on other people and serving other people. 
God did some phenomenal things within the youth ministry there in Kendallville. And I never regret time spent pushing other people to Jesus. In fact, today I have former students preaching in Columbia City, Indiana, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in Kendallville, and all across the globe. And so um, never, never uh, stop focusing on serving other people, especially when you're lonely. Uh, another thing that I learned is, is that God does, does well on his promises. You can bank on God's promises all day, every day. And the third thing is, is that God provides. While I was in Kendallville, um, focusing on young people, God provided my wife. And here's the interesting story about all that is that um, when I was in Kendallville candidating for the position, one of the first places I went, we had like a little get together with some of the, the adults and the, and the students. Um, my future wife literally lived, I didn't know her at the time, but literally lived right next door to our get together. And so just think, I eventually met her um, so many years down the road afterward, God had everything lined up and he just wanted me to take those steps of faith and to trust in him. And so God provides. Um, I'm married um, to a wonderful gal named Kim and we have a picture uh, right up here that hopefully you'll be able to see. We've been married since November. We live outside the booming metropolis of Wakarusa. It's booming, let me tell you. And uh, we, uh, we have a cat, and I quickly found out kind of the pecking order of our home. It goes as follows, Kim, the cat hunter, and me. And so in a span of a couple months, I went from number one to number three. You know, I don't know if anyone can relate to that. But I've uh, been here for six months. It's been great to kind of get to know the church, to get to know um, you guys, to get to know the teens. And uh, I'm just in awe of the potential uh, and all our young people that we have here at Grace Community Church. And so looking forward to seeing what God is going to do in the future. I'm glad to be a part of Grace Community Church. We've been doing a lesson series. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. We've been doing a le- You can clap. All right. Yeah. <laughs> We've been doing a lesson series on emotions. And talking about what our response should be uh, when we deal with certain emotions. Some of the emotions that we've looked at and to recap are depression, anger, joy, fear, loneliness. Last week was regret. And today we're going to close out our emotion series and look at the emotion of doubt. We're going to talk about doubt today. Uh, To do that, we're going to open up God's word and see what God's word has to say about doubt. And so we're going to go old school today. We're going to go Old Testament. And I encourage you uh, to open up your Bibles to the book of Esther. And we're going to talk a little bit about how Esther had to walk through doubt. If you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you to raise your hand. Our ushers will be more than happy to place Bibles in your hand. If you don't have a Bible, this is Grace Community's gift to you. If you have 10 Bibles... Uh, Don't sell nine of them on eBay. Bring those nine back here. That way we can give them to other people uh, who need them. But we're going to be looking at the book and looking at Esther chapter 4. And so as you're turning to Esther, let me encourage you. uh, Let me give you a little background information on what's happening in this passage. We have Esther. Esther is the main character of the story. Esther was a peasant who God eventually kind of moved and the king made her queen. Esther is also a Jew. The king doesn't know 
that Esther is a Jew. The king's right-hand man named Haman doesn't like the Jews. So he gets the king to sign a law stating that within a certain amount of time, all the Jews in the land will be exterminated. And so here we have Esther. What does she do? I'm sure she has a lot of different doubts about what her course of action should be. And so she goes to her uncle, her uncle Mordecai, who is a wise, wise man. And that's where we pick it up. Esther chapter four, verses 12 to 14. Let me encourage you to stand and we're gonna read that aloud together. You can stand if you're in the main or the link. And we're gonna read Esther chapter four, verses 12 to 14. Ready, read. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will rise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. You may be seated. Can you imagine, can you picture Esther's doubt here? What does she do? Do I tell the king? Do I not tell the king? How do I tell the king? What time should I tell the king? And probably her biggest doubt is why, oh, why, God, did you put me into this position? And that might be a question that some of you might be able to relate to. Why, God, have you put me into this position? Why have you given me the family members that you've given me? Why have you surrounded me with this, these type of people at my job? Why are all these things happening to me? Why, oh, why, God, are you doing this or allowing this to happen to me? I believe here that we can see real quickly why God allows the emotion of doubt. God allows the emotion of doubt because doubt forces us to choose. Doubt forces us to choose. And ultimately, we only have one of two decisions when it comes down to it. We can either walk through our doubt and take steps of faith, even if they're little baby steps of faith, or we can come to doubt, get paralyzed by it, and turn the other, day, turn the other way. We can either acknowledge God's power in our life, or we can deny God's power in life. Those ultimately are the only two options. And I believe this. I believe that doubt is the trigger by which our faith gets made stronger. Everyone has to walk through doubt and everyone has to take steps of faith to get past that. Doubt is the trigger by which our faith gets made stronger. And I believe this. I believe that God is moving people into positions where they can either, they can do one of those two things. They can either acknowledge him or they can deny him. And he moves people into positions all the time to do that. For instance, take a look at Esther. She got moved from peasant to queen. And why did God move Esther from peasant to queen? Mordecai says, the passage that we looked at, Mordecai says, maybe he's moved you for such a time as this. And maybe God is moving you into, into a position for such a time as this. Maybe it might be in your job. You might be the only believer at your job. And maybe God is moving, you the, moving things there for you to have an opportunity to reach people for such a time as this. Maybe you have family issues 
And God's placed you in that specific area so that you can have an impact on your family members for such a time as this. God is constantly moving people into positions where they can either acknowledge him or deny him. And he does it every single day. How is God moving you into position to either acknowledge him or to deny him? Well, if you take a look at Esther, a little bit about Esther's story, God moved her into position from basically peasant to queen. She had all these doubts. What do I do? I'm asking advice from my uncle. Esther eventually makes the right decision. She takes a step of faith, tells the king, and she does it in the right way. The king finds out about Haman's plans, and instead of the Jews being killed, Haman is the one who gets hanged on the gallows that he made. God protected Esther. It's all because she walked through her doubt and took a step of faith. God is constantly moving people into positions where they can take those steps of faith. Now, let's be honest. Doubt as an emotion is natural, right? Doubt as an emotion is natural. It's honesty time here, okay? Who here has ever or is struggling with areas of doubt? Raise your hand. All right, look to the person to your right or left. If they don't have their hand up, give them a little rib like in a side because everybody, everybody is struggling with areas of doubt. Doubt is natural and we have two choices. We can either walk through that doubt and take steps of faith, even if they're little baby steps of faith, or we can see that doubt, think, mm-mm, succumb to it and turn the other way. For those of, I'm sure most of you are here because you want to learn, how can I take steps of faith and get past my doubt? Let me give you a couple things that you guys can remember to help you as you're taking steps of faith. Remember this. Remember, God plus you equals the majority. God plus you equals the majority. In other words, you might have a hundred coworkers who don't know the Lord and there's you who knows the Lord You are the majority because through Christ, you can do all things through his strength. God plus you is the majority. And here's the other thing. Doubt has a way of making us feel isolated. Because I doubt, I don't think that anyone else in the whole world is going through what I'm going through. And so if you feel like a nothing or nobody, with God, you're somebody. If you feel like a nothing or nobody, with God, you are a somebody. God plus you equals the majority. You are a somebody in Jesus Christ. Here's another thing. God blesses those who take steps of faith. God blesses those who take steps of faith, even, even if it's little itty baby steps. Let me give you, uh, for instance, you come up upon a situation, you have doubt upon the situation. You know that's gonna require some faith on your part and faith in God to kind of get you through the situation. And so you see the doubt in front of you and you take a step of faith. But it's not a big step of faith. It's like a little baby step. And what happens? God blesses you in ways that you could never imagine. And so next, the next week, you have an issue. You have more doubts. So you take a step. It's, not, it's, not, it's a little bigger than a baby step. Okay, we're talking like a medium-sized step. Because you saw God work before, so you could take a medium-sized step this time. And what does God do? He blesses. Maybe not ways that we think, but God blesses. And so another week happens and you have some more doubts about a particular situation. And you're like, wow, I've seen God before. 
I've seen God before work, so instead of these little baby medium steps, I'm going to take a giant leap of faith. I'm going to take a giant leap of faith, and God blesses. And here's the cool thing. We as believers, we can not only believe it, but we can come to a point where we can expect God to do great things. And people say this. People say the Christian life is boring. How could the Christian life be born when you're taking steps of faith? It's like you are surfing because you, you have the doubt and you're in front. You are, you are surfing past the doubt and you're surfing on, on your own faith. The Christian life is in no way, shape, or form boring. It's exhilarating because you can not only come to believe it, you can expect it because God has time and time again never let you down. And he always blesses faithfulness. God blesses faithfulness. And so, Take those steps. It might be a little baby step. Take that step because the Bible says, you draw near to to God, he will draw near to you. That's a promise. You can bank on it. Take those steps of faith. Uh, Let me give you an illustration. Um, Believe it or not, 10 years ago, I played high school football. I know it doesn't look like it now, but that was 10 years ago, okay? Okay. And so I played on a high school football team, and uh, my sophomore year, I played on a really good uh, football team. In fact, we were so good, we were ranked third in the entire state for defense. We gave up under, under 100 yards passing and under 100 yards rushing per game. You know, we had a nasty defense. But the coolest thing about our team, uh, we went eight and two, and those two losses we lost to teams that are way, you know, bigger than we were, so... Let's not count those. But we went eight and two. Okay, I don't even remember that. We went eight and two. And of those eight wins, six of them came in the fourth quarter. We were almost always down at halftime. And working with this group of men on our football team, it really taught me how to, how to, how to win and what it takes to win because we had this belief, this expectation that we we're going to win the game. Coach tried to do all kinds of things to get us motivated to really play the first half. But I was like, well, we're going to win the game in the second, you know, second half. It's more exciting. But we had this belief, this expectation that we're, we're going to pull together, have faith in each other, and that we were going to win the game. Playing on a team like that is fun. It's exhilarating when you have that type of faith and belief and expectation. Fast forward two years. I'm a senior in high school. I'm the running back. When you don't have a very good line, you get pounded. And so I got pounded mercilessly. But what hurt even more than the physical pounding was the, uh, almost the emotional pounding knowing that we're going to go out there and get pounded. I would think about it all week. I know I'm going to get pounded this week. I can remember our next to last game. We were down at halftime, 42 to nothing. Yeah, it was bad. 42 to nothing. They come out the second half and they score a touchdown with their second stringers. So it's 49 to nothing. And so to make the game competitive, they put their three, third stringers in. I think there's some cheerleaders taking some snaps. I think the ball boys taking snaps. Just to make the game competitive. So if that isn't embarrassing enough, I can remember how our team was after the game. In the locker room, we were so nonchalant it wasn't even a big deal. You know why? Because we expected to lose. And so if you're going to succumb to doubt, you might as well not even go out. We should not even step place on that field because we had already got our rears handed to us way, way before. And so that illustration makes sense for us as believers. We can take steps of faith and then we watch God work and we can come to not only believe it, but expect 
that God is going to do something incredible because he's never let us down. Time and time again, his promises ring true. Or we can succumb to our doubt, get paralyzed by it, and head the opposite direction. It's one or the other. We can either acknowledge God's power in our life or we can deny God's power in our life. And let me encourage you, even take small baby steps of faith. No matter how small they are, take them because God will bless your faithfulness. That's one of the things I love about working at Grace Community Church. Uh, I've been a part of a lot of different churches. My dad was a pastor. Um, I have been part of ministry training programs all up and down the eastern seaboard. One of the things I love about Grace Community Church is there, there's that basic expectation. Not only belief in God, but expectation that he's going to do something incredible. Because we've taken steps of faith. We've gone past our doubts. We're going to make necessary changes to reach people for Jesus. We've seen how time and time again God has shown up. And then there's this basic expectation and excitement. And so here's a little plug. Next Sunday is Easter. Let me encourage you to bring one, two, five, a whole buggy full of people who don't know the Lord. I'm trying to use term to relate to you guys. I hope you guys understand that. Okay, I'm trying, to re- I'm trying to relate to you guys with terminology you understand, be relevant. Bring, bring people here because there's not only this belief that God's gonna do some pretty incredible things, there's this basic expectation that God can do some great things. And not only can we claim that as a church, you can claim that in your personal life. You can not only have the belief that God's gonna do some pretty incredible things, you can have this expectation that God is going to do some incredible things. And when you're living like that, it's like you're surfing on the front lines because wherever those waves of faith take you is where you're going. And that, my friends, is exciting and it's exhilarating. The Christian life is not boring. One of my favorite verses of all time um, is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And Ephesians 3, 20 says this. It says, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And I believe this verse talks about doubt like no other. Because every single term, every single word builds upon the other word and shares with us a little bit about how we should handle doubt. Let's kind of break it down, all right? First word, God. God. Can I be honest with you? There might be some of you in this room who are even questioning the existence and your belief in God. And whether you realize it or not, you've already taken a step of faith by being here. You showed up this Sunday morning. Way to go. And I believe this. I believe that all truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. And so if you're looking for truth, whether you're looking for it in the, in the sciences, in history, in archaeology, in the Bible, all truth will eventually point to God. And so it's natural to have these doubts. Make sure you're looking for truth. The foundation of all our doubts and the lens that we have to see it is through God. God is. When I say that phrase, God is, it refers to me, it means to me that there's this capability that God can act. I'm starting to have this faith. Okay, there's potential. God is. He, he, there's this potential. There's this capability that God could move. God 
is able. Do you believe that God is able? Through the midst of our pain, our suffering, our doubts, our God is able. He is able to meet you where you're at, whatever situation you're going through. Our God is able. But not only is our God able, our God is able to do. See, he doesn't sit on the sidelines. Our God doesn't sit on the sidelines. He's a moving God. He moves in people's lives. He can move through our situation. Our God is a God of action. He is able to do. And this next word, I'm telling you right now, it messed me up. I can't even make sense of it. But our God is able to do immeasurably. And when you think of the term immeasurably, what do you think of? For me, I automatically started thinking of like cooking and recipes. Okay, because you're supposed to measure things. And so I brought with me a little, uh, little uh, measuring cup here. You can measure two cups, right? And so like, I couldn't even picture, if someone says to you, okay, here's a recipe. You're supposed to have two eggs and an immeasurable amount of water. How much water is that? That's a lot of water. I mean, I have like two cups, okay? I have like two cups of water here. But if you're supposed to have an immeasurable amount, that's like, you can't, you can't measure it. It's a lot. It's like infinity. And so God wants to do immeasurably. He can do a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. That's our God. We can't even picture how much he wants to work through our doubts and our pain. All I can think of is two cups. God is thinking of like the whole the whole world, all the water in the world, right? He wants to do immeasurably. Now this, I don't know if this is gonna make sense to you, but he wants to do immeasurably more. Does that make sense? If you have an immeasurable amount of something, how can you have more of it, right? But that's what our God, he wants to do immeasurably more. When I was in kindergarten, we used to have this saying, infinity times infinity. And so we'd be like, you know, I love you like infinity times infinity. It's like forever and ever, you know what I'm talking about? And so that's, that's God, what he wants to do through our doubt. He wants to work through our doubt infinity times infinity. And immeasurably more, that's what our God wants to do. But I'm not done. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask. Than all we ask? Think about that. When we have situations and we are surrounded by doubt, first of all, we need to ask God, but God can even do more than we ask. That's our God. James 1, 5 says, if any of us lacks wisdom, ask God because he gives generously. He wants to hear from his kids, but he's gonna even do, he can even do above and beyond what we ask. That's the God we serve. But not only that, I'm t- this, is, this is phenomenal. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. God wants to work through our doubts in such a way that we can't even imagine what he's got in store and in plan for us. That's the God that we serve. If you would have told me 10 years ago that I would be a youth pastor in northern Indiana... I would have laughed at you. I'd have laughed in your face because I had my life planned out. I was going to get a Division three football scholarship, major in law or financial planning. I was going to meet some good-looking Christian gal. 
settle down and live some type of productive lifestyle. And God has completely changed all that around. And let me say this, it's good because he's done immeasurably more than to ask or imagine. Give me a gal that is immeasurably more than I could have ever asked or imagined or dreamed, but it's in his timing. And so God blesses. God blesses when you take those small steps of faith. And he wants to do immeasurably, immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. Let's look on the flip side, though. We only have two options. There are only two options when it comes to our doubt. Either we can walk through that doubt and take steps of faith in God, or, or we can meet doubt head on, succumb to it, and turn the other way. And so why do we as believers do that? And what are some things to remember when we are trying to meet doubt head on? I believe this. I believe that doubt is Satan's primary weapon. I believe doubt is, is his primary weapon. Just think back from the beginning, Adam and Eve. If you're not familiar with the story, it goes a little something like this. Satan tries to plant seeds of doubt in Eve's mind. If you eat this apple, are you sure these are the consequences that are going to happen? Did God really say that? Satan is trying to plant seeds of doubt in her mind. And I believe if we look at a lot of our different emotions, doubt is at the root of many of those different emotions. I feel lonely. Well, why do you feel lonely? Because ultimately I doubt that God has someone in store for me or a better plan. Therefore, I'm going to try to to look for a spouse or whatever in ways that I shouldn't be. I'm angry. Why am I angry? Because I doubt God has what's best for me. And because I can't control or change the situation, I'm going to get really angry. Doubt is at the root of a lot of these different emotions. It's one of Satan's primary weapons. And I believe Satan uses doubt a whole lot like he uses, now this is a wooden cutout of a gun, okay? Wooden cutout of a gun. But I believe that Satan uses doubt a whole lot like this wooden cutout of a gun. He tries to hold us as believers hostage. And he makes different accusations to hold us hostage. And he has a gun behind our back or or facing our head, and it's a wooden gun. But he tries to make accusations and plant seeds of doubt like this. Do you really believe that you're beautiful? Because you don't look like the the covers of those magazines. you, You are not a beautiful lady. Are you really going to be a good husband, father, grandfather, grandmother, because you've got a lot of baggage in your life. You've failed a lot of people in the past. I don't believe that you've got what it takes. Are you going to be a good coworker? I don't, I don't believe that you have what it takes. You have anger issues. You get frustrated. I don't believe you got what it takes. And so Satan has a gun pointed to her back and to her head, and he's trying to put seeds of doubt in there. Can I say this? You know how you overcome that? You call Satan on his bluff. You know why? It's a wooden gun. He has no power over us who are in Christ Jesus. It's a wooden gun. And you know what? You tell Satan, I am beautiful because I'm creating the image of God. I can be a good husband, father, um, grandmother, because as far as God is, uh, as far as the east is from the west, is as far as he removed uh, 
my sins. And I can be a good coworker because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This has no power compared to the bazooka power of God. The bazooka power of God. But the thing is, we don't, we don't take time to look. All we know and we feel is that it's pointed to our head. All you need to do is grab it and throw it on the ground. Because Satan is a bully and he's going to keep coming and coming and trying to plant seeds of doubt. Call him on his bluff. Call him on his bluff. Let me just say this. Let me encourage you not only to call Satan on his bluff, but let me encourage you to verbally do that. Verbally say, Satan, you have no power within me. Verbally say that because our God is an omniscient God, but Satan is not omniscient. He doesn't, he's not all knowing. And so when you say that, it says if, if, you, if, you, if you believe in God, you know, and you stand up for him, that Satan will flee. Satan will flee. Verbally say, you have no power. You have no power within me because my faith is in the Lord. But a lot of times we don't do that. And so we get into, we, let our, we allow our doubt to fester. And this is what I believe happens with a lot of believers in Jesus. Because we, we doubt and we don't handle it the right way and take steps of faith toward Jesus, even if it is like just, you know, approaching the subject and just kind of going slowly through the process, because we have doubts, therefore we get skeptical. And because we are skeptical, then we get sarcastic. And because we are sarcastic, then we start losing hope. And then when we lose hope, then we get desperate. The end result of doubt is desperation. I believe the end result of doubt is desperation. And this is what I believe. I believe that there are a lot of people that come to church on a Sunday morning feeling one of two things. One, you feel bullied. Two, you feel desperate. And you know why? It's because you are being bullied by Satan. And Satan has done whatever he could to get you to buy the seeds of doubt. And here's the, here's, the beautiful, here's the beautiful thing about our God. Any decision you make, remember God is moving people into different directions. You can either acknowledge God's power in your life or you can deny God's power in your life. But every time you encounter doubt, you have an opportunity to make the right decision. And so no matter how many times your life has spiraled out of control, it's gotten worse and worse and worse and you get more and more desperate. You can make a decision that takes you back to the top. You can acknowledge God because there is hope. You need to walk through that doubt and take steps of faith. And God blesses it. He will bless your faith. I'm gonna encourage you to bow your heads with me. And let me encourage you to, to think about that. Where in my life is doubt cropping up? Where do I need to take steps of faith? Do I not only believe that God's gonna do some pretty incredible things? Have I come to a point where I can expect it because I believe that God is faithful and I've seen God work. I'm gonna invite our band to come forward and as they come forward, let me encourage you to think where in my life 
do I need to see God work? What doubts do I need to give over to him? Because our God, he is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or immeasurably more than we could even imagine. And maybe for some of you, this is the first time that you can claim hope in Jesus. Let's pray. God, uh, help us to be a church that cares desperately for you. We can have hope in your name. Um, The end result of doubt is desperation. And no matter how desperate people are this morning or no matter how bad they feel, you, God, you, God, can help them and, and we can take steps of faith in you. Help us to take those steps of faith and give you our entire being. It's your precious name we pray these things, Jesus. Amen.